You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. Oh, Greg was talking about doing handstands. I used to do handstands on my skateboard. Oh, while it was rolling down the street? Yeah. We were, when Ace Hardware first built their location over there on Main Street, I would start up by the gas station and do a handstand all the way around the building up to the loading dock in the back. The question is, can you still do a handstand (laughs) on a skateboard? I think it'd be dangerous to try. Your wife would kill you. (laughs) Yeah, if I didn't kill myself first. I guess I was into outdoor adventure sports, if you can call it that, like skiing downhill and cross country and snowboarding and skating. Did you surf when you were in California? Yeah, I surfed and skateboarded and dirt biking. I used to have a pipe frame dune buggy that we'd ride in the strip mines. I co-owned oh, that with fun. Bob Bertelson. And then uh, mountain biking, kind of crashed and burned on that one. But <laughs> Yeah, you broke your Gosh. foot and smashed your foot into pieces and it shattered my heel. Was that a two-year healing process? Two surgeries. Your wife would not want you out skateboarding down mountains right now. (laughs) (laughs) Mountain biking, yeah. The thing I really like is four-season backpacking. Love just being out in the outdoors and in nature and unplugging from everything and and what are you doing now I'm like to a replace one season backpacker? Yeah, not one even one season. You get like the first month of fall where it's warm during the day and it's cold at night. I'll see you there. You're missing a whole aspect. I know you're missing <laughs> creation so, there. Like, do you feel like you have to find something to replace that adventure because you've been somewhat limited with your accident? I went on a trip in Colorado last year with Owen. It was pretty intense. We climbed like I think four thousand vertical feet. Did twenty five, twenty six miles, something like that. So that did my heart good just to know I could still do that. We're ready. I'm ready. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Liz. It's Kate. And we're sitting here with one of the founding fathers of the Upper Room from 50 years ago. We're celebrating our 50th anniversary at the Upper Room. We get to interview Bruce Striefler, who has been here since the beginning. I was a 13-year-old father. (laughs) (laughs) Ministering to 16 and 17, (laughs) 18-year-olds. Well, welcome, Bruce. We're so glad to have you here Mm -hmm. celebrating the 50th anniversary. Great to be here. Bruce was on in February with his wife, Monica. So go back to the love month. And we were talking about relationships and he and Monica shared some of their story. But now we get Bruce all by himself. Bruce was born in Youngstown and lived there the first year of his life. After that, his family moved to Columbiana, where he basically has lived ever since. And if you don't know the connection, Shirley and Russ are Bruce's parents. And Shirley was on our podcast last season. And you want to check out her story because she was... Her and Russ supported the upper room and their young teenage kids with this vision. So it's a really cool story. At 12 years of age, he found Jesus and a year later helped start the upper room 
in the room above his dad's veterinarian clinic, along with his brother Dave and six other folks. He graduated a year early from Columbiana High School. He went out to California. What was your... Melody Land School of Theology. Who else was out there? Dave Perkins was out there, and then a friend of ours from back here, Bob McMurchie. Wasn't Chip out there too? He came later, yeah. So some Ohio boys went out to California. Bruce got his bachelor's in ministry and came back to Columbiana and continued to work with the upper room. To provide for himself and later his family, Bruce began his own business repairing car interiors. 38 years ago, he is still operating that business and is part-time. He's married to the lovely Monica Striefler, and in two weeks, it'll be 33 years They have two awesome adult kids, Ariel and Owen, who are one's in Colorado and one's in Akron. And he used to enjoy handstand skateboarding (laughs) in his youth. So it's great to have you here. I'm excited to hear your story, Bruce. So thanks for joining us. So glad to be here. So Bruce, tell us, who or what turned your light on? Well, there was an unforgettable moment in my life. It was on March 21st. 1970. I felt the presence of God for the first time in my life. Like we had been in church all our lives. And my mom tells that story on when she did the podcast last season. You know, we were there probably as much or more than the pastor, but none of us knew Jesus. But this weekend, there was a special event at the church. And there was like a team of people that came. They were all ages. There's youth and kids and adults. And they came from Ohio and the neighboring states. There's probably, you know, 25 or so of them. And they came to our church. And the one thing they all had in common was they had had an encounter with Jesus. And they all talked about him like he was a real person and that you could know him personally. And that was foreign to me, even though we had been in the church all our lives and been around, I don't know, religious people anyway. But this whole idea of that you could know God or that he knew you was, you know, something completely foreign to me. So this weekend, here it was, you know, I'd been hearing all these these testimonies and all these stories about how people had, you know, met Jesus and what Jesus was doing in their lives and been hearing this all weekend. And here it was Saturday night. There'd been general session where everybody was together and we were hearing people's testimonies. And then there was these breakout sessions where the youth went off, you know, and did their own thing. And then the adults had their own groups. And the youth were, they were meeting in the parlor of the church and we we're all sitting around on the floor like you did in the 70s. The kids who were leading our time, you know, they brought this candle out. They lit it and put it in the center of the room and turned the lights out. They called it dissecting a candle. And they said, just check this out and, you know, what, what does this represent to you? What, what does this mean to you? And, and immediately I had this impression, you know, for me it was a revelation because I never thought in these terms before. And it was just that, I mean, it's really simple, but the wax of the candle represents our bodies. And the wick was like our spirit or our soul. And the flame was Jesus. We were all made for a purpose, you know, we were made to shine and we were made to have a light. And But until Jesus comes in there, you know, we aren't fulfilling our purpose or our purpose isn't met. But when Jesus comes, everything changes. I never ever thought about anything like that before. So to me, that was like a download from, from the Lord. And eventually I hadn't got enough nerve to share that with the group. And I remember I was laying on the floor underneath the baby grand piano and I felt presence of God for the first time. And it was like it ruined me for anything less. 
And I still get choked up thinking about it. It's like I knew the scriptures, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I didn't know God so loved me. I didn't even know he knew me. You know, I thought he was, I was just one of those, one of his numbers in the computer, you know. You know, (laughs) just a number in his database, you know, that, but that night I realized he knew my name and he knew who I was and he loved me personally. And God so loved Bruce Striefler that he gave his only son and... And so that night, they had the altar was open in the sanctuary, and there wasn't like a formal altar call or anything like that, or even anything leading up to that. But they just told all the groups, you know, the altar's open if you want to come up. And so I, I went up there. And I remember kneeling, and I don't know if I even prayed anything. There was just like this communion with my spirit and God's spirit, saying, "I know this is what I was made for, and this is where I belong." And I found I found what I was looking for, and I didn't even know it. You know, like Paul talks about, really, it's more accurate to say God found us. And I can say that because I wasn't even looking for God. I love that. You know, there's no junior Holy Spirit for kids. I love that you got a revelation at a very young age, and it, it has stuck with you. And you've been shining your light and walking with God ever since then. So so I was, that was 1970, and I was 12. And then the next year, the upper room started. You know, my brother, he gave his life to the Lord the day after at that same event. And, you know, we were growing in Jesus, and it was just so good. And we just needed to tell our our peers, you know, just about the good news. And we wanted away. And, and this was the 70s, and there was the Jesus movement going on, and coffee houses were a big thing. And, you know, we had gone to several conferences, and, and they had talked about coffee house outreach ministry kind of things. And it was really my brother's vision that he had and felt like, you know, this would be a good thing. Why don't we start a coffee house? And, you know, I really can't take much credit. I was just serving his vision. It was a good vision and great vision, and I wanted to get behind it. And so we talked to our parents and said, you know, could we use the room above? My dad was a veterinarian, and there was this like this single room up above his clinic. Could we use that room for this coffee house? And they agreed, you know, got behind it. And so we began building stuff. We used those pools, you know, that they put cable on, or they used to anyway. You know, the small ones were seats, and the big ones, the huge ones, were tables. And so we painted stuff and got it all organized and ready. And Who was, made the coffee? Well, that's another story. We we never served coffee. <laughs> we had a concession stand. We served pop and stuff like that and chips and whatnot. But it was a coffee house without coffee. But <laughs> So it opened up in October of 1971, be 50 years ago. It started out basically the way we it would work. It would, you know, we would have... Uh, bands in and people would come and mingle and you know the christians were to mingle with the non-christians and just to share their story and well that was the ideal but you know how often it happened i'm not sure me being the introvert i was i I normally worked in the concession stand and kind of hid out back there but so it went on for a bit and became pretty popular and but it wasn't really fulfilling the purpose that we thought it was going to or work the way the idea was. So we shut down for a, for a bit and, you know, just to regroup and to hear the Lord and pray. And so in that month, people were asking, well, when are you going to open up again? You know, we, we really want to come back. And, well, we found this group. It was called New Birth. They were teenagers like us or early 20s, and people who had found Jesus, and they would come and play their guitars and sing their songs and tell their testimonies about how, how Jesus had changed their lives. And we set a date, and they 
we were coming down and it was in on February 12th of 1972 then. So we reopened the coffee house. And so there was a lot of buzz because, you know, now the coffee house was reopened. And so there was like an extra amount of people there that night. And these guys came and just the Lord was present and they shared their stories and people were touched. And I think it was kind of the same thing. You know, they never knew that you could personally know God or walk with Jesus. And so there was like 30, 35 kids that gave their life to the Lord that night. You know, this is just kind of all on the fly. The guy who was leading it leans over to my brother and said, hey, we need to have a Bible study to follow up on all these people. When do you want to have it? And Dave says, "Uh, Monday night. (laughs) You know, this was a Saturday. And so this guy goes back to the microphone. On Monday night, there's going to be a Bible study and we're going to follow up. You all come back. And so they came down for that first Bible study. And so then we kept having these Bible study things uh, every Monday night. Really, they became more popular than the coffee house, and so we phased the coffee house part out and just met on Mondays, and then people said, oh, we, we, we want to meet more, so we started meeting Mondays and Wednesdays, and we'd always have, like, uh, worship before we started, and then there'd be a teaching of some sort, and all the while, we always encouraged people to be a part of a church, that we were just, you know, something that was coming alongside the church, and like a parachurch group organization, and so we encourage them to be a part of a local body. And But more and more people are saying, well, this is where I found Jesus, and this is where I'm getting fed, and these are my people, and, you know, this is my church. And, and there was a couple that wanted to get married. It's like, oh, we can't do that. It made us con- consider, you know, what what is God doing here? And so we sought the Lord and asked Him, and just, we just felt like yeah, God was doing a bigger thing than what we than what we had imagined, and so we began meeting as a church, kind of seeing ourselves in that light. And so we first, you know, met for several years at above my dad's office there on Main Street, and then we outgrew that and moved to the Kreidler Building, which is where Generations Dance Studio is now. First, rent the top of that, the top floor, and then we rented the whole building, and then from there. We outgrew that, so we met at Dixon School for several years in their auditorium and set up and tear down every week. And then it became time for us to build the building, and so we started in 87, building that, finished in 88. Monica and Bruce were the first wedding at the Upper Room Fellowship building that we are in today. Yeah, it was just newly completed and... There's actually one couple that got married before it was completed. It was like they didn't care and <laughs> so in construction zone. Yeah. <laughs> and so you you were gone for three years when you went to Bible school? Yeah. You, uh, did you come home in the summer? Yeah. Come home at Christmas time and whatnot. And I remember that was the first teaching I gave. It was from the second chapter of Acts and how they all gathered together and were one and fellowship together and so here we are 50 years later, an established church with a building and an addition and a growing congregation. And I really feel like if God had shown us where this was going, it would have been too big for us and we would have got scared off. And it's like God shows you know, one step at a time and you just take the next step, you know, follow the Lord and he unfolds things and makes it bigger than what you ever could have or would have or what you had ever imagined. That's such a great story. So tell us, Bruce, what lights you up? Well, this might be a roundabout way to answer this question, but I really love the kingdom of God. And Jesus told us, Matthew 6, you know, to seek the kingdom of God above all else. You know, Chris was talking about this 
a couple weeks ago how, you know, when Jesus came, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He didn't preach the gospel of salvation, but he came preaching the gospel, which means good news, the good news of the kingdom of God. Of course, salvation is included in the kingdom, and the church is included in the kingdom, but it includes so much more. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, so that means it's within reach. In fact, he told some people, you know, there's people here that won't die until they see the kingdom of God realized. If you're waiting till it's all over to see the kingdom of God, you're you're missing what God really intended. And so it's like the kingdom is the king's domain. It's the present reality of, of Jesus' reign. So it's like situations and circumstances and impossibilities bowing to heaven's influence right now. That's exciting, you know when you see heaven bringing transformation and, you know, people's lives being changed. And, and Jesus was always telling these stories, you know, the kingdom is like, and then he'd tell the story. And, and one of the stories was that the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So the kingdom is like this huge treasure that's worth, you know, investing our whole lives in and everything we have. And so and I'm going to come back around to this, but what makes the the kingdom so great is the king. And I think what really lights me up is seeing people discover who God is and what he's like. Like, I feel it's impossible to imagine more good than he really is. Jesus is the kindest person I know. He's just so gracious and so encouraging. He's just fun to be around. I mean, every day he shows me some kind of kindness and there's some kind of grace that he deposits in my life. And sometimes it's, you know, something that would be seemingly insignificant, which is kind of cool because he pays attention to the little details and the things that really don't matter to anybody else, and but it matters to you, you know. But then there's bigger things too, you know, that every day it's like I just see his goodness and his kindness. Bruce, what would you say to people out there listening that when they hear you talk about this or, you know, you said you felt this way when you were 12, they were talking about this Jesus and it like he's a person and you can have a relationship with him. What would you say to people who are like, I don't know that I don't know that about him, or I can't feel it or I can't see it? Like, how can people get to the place where you are? with your relationship with Jesus who feel like it's just a foreign concept or they're not experiencing that? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, Bible says that ask, seek, and knock. It's like um, you're going to find what you look for. And so I feel like if you keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, that you're going to find find that treasure. You know, even in that parable, it's a treasure hidden in the field. You know, sometimes it's not just right out in the open. I think God's designed it that way. He wants us to search for that treasure and to look for it and to go after it. And so I just encourage you to continue your pursuit. You know, that would include like hanging around people who have had this encounter and hear their stories and rub shoulders with them. And it would include, you know, getting in the Word and reading about this Jesus that everybody says is so magnificent and, and, you know, spending your own time with God and just being really real with Him, authentic, you know, hey God, I hear you're out there, but I don't feel you. Reveal yourself to me. And I believe you will. That's good. And I think that, you know, Chris even talked about that, the difference between Eastern religion, Western religion, the idea of the rabbis 
it was a joy to walk through the mystery of finding things. And I feel like we have difficulty with that. In Western lifestyle in general, we just, we're a very, I'll get this now culture. So we don't have a lot of patience, number one. But number two, when it comes to faith, oftentimes everything's laid out in front of us and we have our information. But the rabbis, when they were looking at scripture, it was like you were saying, like it was it was a treasure and they were looking for something and coming into something we didn't understand or something that frustrated us or something where we felt like, well, I don't see God this way or I haven't experienced this. But that was, like Chris said, that's a reason to dance. It's never a reason to become upset. But the idea is that it's an opportunity to step into what God is so graciously and in good ways hiding for us so that we find that that is deep into the Jewish faith, the idea that we seek it and find it like a treasure, but it's beautiful. The seeking is good. It's good for us. Yeah. Like God doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. It's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. You don't bury the eggs six feet in the ground so your kids never find them. I don't know. Those streeflers can hide <laughs> eggs. <laughs> <laughs> but you hide them so eventually they find them and there's that joy and that finding and it's uh, like a little treasure, you know. I really believe that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, mm-hmm. as the song goes, when we've been in heaven for multiplied millennia, we're still going to be finding new aspects of God's love that we hadn't seen before. And we're going to be like, whoa, where'd you keep that hidden? <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's just another facet of his love. He's just so incredible and his love is unending and it's completely beyond our finite minds. And we're going to be discovering more aspects of who God is and what he's like even millennia later after we've been with him. You know, there's this picture in Revelation, in the book of Revelation of heaven, and it's the 24 elders and the four living creatures and the angels, and they're all around the throne. And it's like they get a glimpse of God and they say, holy, holy, holy. And they get another glimpse of God. It's like, holy, holy, holy. You know, this word holiness, for us, we've reduced it to us. It's about purity and it's about righteousness. When I was in the school of theology, we learned that holiness is the sum of all God's attributes. So it's like his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, goodness, self-control, all those things, faithfulness, gentleness, left those out. But all those things that God is are wrapped up in holiness. And so when these heavenly beings were, you know, before the Lord, and it's like they get one glimpse of him, and they're just like, they're saying, wowza, wowza, wowza. Mm-hmm. It's like they just didn't have words to describe what they were experiencing in the moment, just in God's presence, just seeing who he is, his beauty, his wonder, his love, his, his joy, his, all that stuff wrapped up in, I mean, you're there in the presence of such awesomeness. You know, there aren't words. And so I, I feel like that's what God's like. And so one of the reasons I love just seeing people discover who God is and what he's really like is because it's so transforming. The scriptures say, Ephesians 3, Paul's praying for the church there, and he says that we wouldn't know the length and width and depth and height and breadth of his love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And it's like when we see God as he is, we are filled with his fullness. There's a a transforming thing that takes place. And I remember in my own life, in my own walk, probably about 10 or 12 years into my journey with Jesus, and I don't know, it was just like, I felt like, you know, every time I worshipped, 
it wasn't passionate enough, or if I would pray, it was not hard enough, and if I read the Word, I didn't do it long enough. And it was like anything I did, I felt like it fell short of what God was expecting or wanting. And, and I had this, this picture of God just shaking his head up in heaven and just being really disappointed and kind of shaking his finger. And I felt like I couldn't please God no matter what I did. And even though I was trying to pursue him with all my heart, this was something I had put on the Lord. It wasn't who he really is, but it changed how I approached him and how I did life and just even my whole demeanor. And so until that thing was broken, it was like a a lie I had believed, and really that's how Eve was deceived. The enemy said, you know, God's holding out on you. You know, he really doesn't have your best interest in mind. Here's this thing that will expand you and give you all this knowledge, and it'll taste good. And, and so he's, he said, you know, God, God's not for you. You know, he's, he doesn't have your best interest in my, at heart. And so that, that's kind of like the oldest trick of the enemy is to get us to think a lie about God or to not believe who he really is. And so when we do find out who he really is, it's like his truth sets us free and and we're brought into a whole new place and it's just transforming. And and I just love seeing that take place in people's lives and encounter God and, and see his love for them and it just makes you new. I feel like we spend a lot of time talking about that at the upper room, the idea of truth and lies. What lie are you believing making sure that we understand that we are believing personally and corporately the truth. And I know that we talk about that a lot, but really how massively important that is, you know, even in that one little lie that you got stuck in, you know, that just wasn't enough. That prayer wasn't enough Mm -hmm. today or that I didn't read long enough. But taking that on and how it immediately constricts our understanding of God, but also our relationship with him. And so the importance of continually being like, what lies am I believing? What's the truth in this situation? I just really appreciate that that's been something that's been really brought to the forefront and is really important here because it matters for who we understand God to be, but also the relationship in which we walk with him every day, it matters. How were you changed when you realized you were believing that lie and when you stopped believing it? There's a huge difference when you're working for love rather than working from love. When you realize just how radically you are loved, your life is just different. Even on your worst day, God is the one who is running towards you while everybody else is backing off and creating distance. And God is the one that's moving towards connection. And, you know, there's nothing you can do that would make him love you less and nothing you can do that would make him love you more. He just loves to love and he loves you like crazy. And, you know, when you realize that, it's... When we understand his love, it becomes like a Teflon coating on us that makes everything fall off, you know? It's like nothing else really matters when you're loved by the creator of the universe and the greatest one of all. It's like, so what to this other stuff, you know? I'm loved by the one that really matters. (laughs) It just makes you resilient. It makes you alive. It it breaks off all this other stuff. So in 2 Corinthians, it talks about, uh, Paul says, you know, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so that's what you were talking about, Kate, was just breaking off these lies and these thoughts that are untrue, you know, our distorted views of God and, and of who Jesus is and what the Father's like and breaking these off and receiving the truth about who he is and what he's really like. You know, I like to say that Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know what the Father's like, you know, look at Jesus. 
In Hebrews, it tells us that he's the exact representation of the Father and the radiance of his glory. And so it's like if you've seen if you've seen Jesus, like he said in John 14, you've seen the Father. That's what God's like. That's who the Father is. Mm-hmm. I also feel like when you discover who God really is and the fullness of his love, you also discover your own identity because we've been made in his image. And so there's a piece of God that's inside of us. It's just instilled in us that we were made to be like him. When we make this discovery of who he is, you know, it leads us into the fullness of who we were designed to be. And it just unlocks so much in us. And we realize that Jesus is in us and the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. And so that means wherever we, everywhere we go, we can release the kingdom. Coming back around to the kingdom of God again, you know, things get exciting, you know, when we realize, you know, we're basically little Jesuses on the earth. Christian really means anointed one from the word Christ. We're anointed ones that go everywhere carrying this treasure inside of us. And yeah, we are the earthen vessels, but the treasure is inside. It's a great privilege and honor to do that, to just shine your light. So talk to us about that. How in this season of your life are you letting your light shine? Well, I would say, this is how I imagine it anyway, (laughs) I would say that uh, I primarily let my light shine through creating opportunities for people to encounter God and to discover who He really is. This is the whole uh, whole motive behind 24-7 prayer. Our other prayer initiatives spend considerable time organizing those, and to me it's just worth it all when I hear somebody say, you know, I had this profound encounter with God, and it just changed me. I hear story after story, and that lights me up, just seeing how people have had their own encounter, and then, you know, they're transformed. And, and So for those of you who don't know, for the past 12 years, our church has had 24 hours, seven days a week of prayer in the month of July. Every hour, someone from our church or even other churches signs up for an hour and comes in for prayer and we have prayer stations and it's really a beautiful thing and god bless those folks who do the night shifts (laughs) i like the earlier shifts but we have heard so many testimonies of how god has met people during that time and and their lives have changed and they've had an encounter with jesus so and we've had other prayer initiatives too you know we've done stuff downtown and you know some quarterly things and prayer is conversation with god and so it's a two-way thing, you know, God speaks to us, we speak to Him, and that's an avenue of an encounter. And worship is another thing. I love worship. I've been involved in worship basically all my Christian life, and I feel like God asks us to worship Him, but, you know, like He doesn't need the affirmation. He doesn't need to feel better about Himself. He knows who He is, and it's really for our benefit that He asks us to worship Him, because in that moment and in that encounter, we see him face to face and we we see who he really is. And, you know, this just unfolding revelation, you know, we get to see another aspect of of him and his glory and his goodness and his kindness and all the things that he is. And I don't know, have you ever had an experience with God? You're in worship and it's just this cool encounter and you end up going away feeling like whatever you ask of me, it wouldn't be too much. You know, it's like, I'll give you everything, you know. It's kind of like the encounter Isaiah had, you know, Isaiah 6, and he's before the Lord, and he says he sees his glory and fills the temple, and he's just undone, and he's a mess, and he says, woe is me, for I'm toast. 
I here I am in the presence of God. And But he goes away. God says, hey, we need somebody to go. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me, you know. And it's like he, he enters in being overwhelmed, and he comes out empowered. And, and that's what the presence of God is like. We've created all these worship times, stuff with the heart of David, and different events we've had where we can just meet God in a new way, in a fresh way. And really every Sunday morning is that opportunity too. And really every day, I call my time with God my daily vacation because it's a time where I just get to unplug from everything else and enter His rest and just be at peace and enjoy His presence. Some other things that we've created is like our Sunday morning classes. This latest one is it's about values in the kingdom, but really it's discovering uh, discovering what's important to God and how he thinks. We're kind of back to that thing, who God is and what he's really like. And even the LGBTQ class, I mean, it was about discovering God's heart towards this community. What was the class before that? It was oh. he- Heaven Where You Work or yeah. whatever we ended up calling that. That was about realizing God's a genius. He's absolutely brilliant and he's got multiple business degrees and I mean he created everything you know it's like he knows how it works and how it was all put together and he's got the right solution for your problem and he's got a heart for transformation in in the marketplace and he just loves people and he's all about making people abound and so really it, it all comes back to who God is and his heart for us and his love and how great it is and So we'll just do a couple plugs right now because we have a lot of fun in our adult Sunday school class on Sundays at the Upper Room. We start at 9.25 a.m. And so if you're looking for a deep dive into the values of the kingdom right now, join us. Bruce and I are leading that class and it's been a lot of fun. And also another plug for the Upper Room Fellowship EP Bruce plays his guitar on some of those tracks. We're all in some. You're all in some. So (laughs) I'm so blessed by all of our musicians at the Upper Room Fellowship that not only are they excellent in playing or singing or their instruments, but just their heart that they have to serve the Lord and to follow the Lord passionately. It's, It's amazing. So if you haven't checked out that EP, check out the link in the bio. All right. Can you tell me for a moment, I mean, you've already hit one supernatural experience that you've had, but would you like to share another one? I've got this crazy story. The Upper Room had a special event. This was before we had our own building. And so we rented the hall at St. Jude's. And this was going to be like a a time for the gifts of the Spirit and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, kind of a special meeting for healing and miracles and things like that. And so uh, we had our friends from the vineyard come in and we had gone to Indy with them and or they had gone with us, I guess. We had them over for this special meeting. So this was kind of meeting where we really believe that God has empowered all of his body. And so it wasn't like, you know, you go up front and the special person lays their hands on you, but it was like, we're all empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit, and He lives within us. It was like, if you needed a healing, the body was ministering to each other. And so there would be different groups of people praying for a person, and all around the room, there's like pockets of of people praying for different people. And so I was making my rounds around the room, and there was this one lady, when she was a child, she was uh, messing around with a, a bunch of kids, and they were at this river and they were jumping off the bridge into the into the river and she jumped off and landed on a rock her foot broke and 
it didn't heal right. And anyway, her foot was deformed. This had been years and years and years ago that this happened. But you could see she had taken off her shoe and socked so everybody could see what it was like. And it was kind of all humped up and just you could see where it, the bones hadn't healed right. And it caused her trouble. And so people were praying for her. And immediately I got this impression, you should kiss her foot. And I thought, Mm, no thanks, that, that can't be God. <laughs> and so I kind of left and went on to the next group and found somebody else to pray for. And well, I circled back around and they were still praying for this lady. And immediately I got the same impression. And I thought, mm, uh, uh-uh. and uh, went and prayed for somebody else. And then third time around, you know, I got this impression again, you should kiss her foot. And so I said, Okay. And so I said to the lady, you know, hey, I, I've got this impression that, that the Lord wants me to kiss your foot and we'll see what happens. And she was cool. She just laughed and said, hey, whatever you want to do, you know. <laughs> so I, I knelt down and bent over and kissed her foot and I raised up and immediately I just saw, I was like these bones were like wax and they melted this foot that was humped up and deformed just, just went into place and it was just like completely whole and the only way I can explain it was just like these bones were wax and they got heated up and got melted into place and it was like people around screamed and and I was a mess I God showed up in a powerful way and I was I was in a puddle (laughs) on the floor and I couldn't you know (laughs) it was just overwhelming seeing this bones that are brittle you know become soft and pliable and the God reshaping them and with his his own hand and hmm. that was the craziest miracle I've ever seen. I think there's something to be said about obedience and just obeying the Lord even when you're like, mm, mm, I no, you don't really mean that. <laughs> yeah. And, and like the logic of it all, I mean there is no logic. And it's like you know, I think of Jesus and how he healed different people, and Jesus healed a number of blind eyes. There's that one story where Jesus makes mud. Here's this blind guy, and here's some mud in your eye. This will heal you. It's made out of spit, no less, you know, and it's like, ooh, that's gross, you know. But why did Jesus do that? I don't know. It's just like what God said to do. And it, and every time Jesus healed blind eyes, it was like something different, you think, well, wouldn't it just be easier just to say the word? And, and it's like, well, like in that case with the foot, you know, people were praying, and but that wasn't what God was asking for in the moment. If you read a Bible that's a literal translation, uh, like a word-for-word kind of translation, oftentimes it'll say, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And it was like, first they prayed and asked God, what do you want me to do? And when God told them, they said, they lay their hands and spoke the word. And it's like every time healing is modeled in the Bible, they never do like a classical prayer, Jesus, we ask you to heal this person. They spoke right to the need, you know, like eyes be opened or to the ears, you know, Jesus said the same thing, you know, be opened or to Lazarus come forth or, you know, to the winds and waves, be still, you know, like he didn't pray a prayer to the Father, Father, still these waves. He spoke healing or spoke what needed to be done into the situation. But it was because he had heard what God was doing and did that. That's good stuff so for us. The sad part of this story is that that happened decades ago, and I don't have enough stories 
more stories. I really feel like, you know, if we are to show the world what the Father is like, you know, when Jesus came, he came to show us who God was, and he came, and he came healing people and doing miracles and causing the impossible to bow to heaven. And if we are to show the, the world what the Father's like, we need that restored to the church. Yeah. In Acts, it says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. And it's like, if we are going to show the, the world what the Father is really like, then I feel like this is a necessary element that right. needs to be restored to us. And my prayer is that I would just have even 1% more courage, pray for people like in the marketplace, and just yeah. release his power and his goodness. You know he wants to. We just need to get past us, I think. And, and that can be a prayer for all of us. Yeah. Well, Bruce, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. It's been such a privilege to have you on and hear your heart and your story. And we're just very appreciative of the service that you give to us. You are a servant leader and Bruce works tirelessly behind the scenes and has been here the whole time, 50 years, and continues to give and pour out his life and pour out his love and to present Jesus to people. And it's, it's a privilege to be your sister-in-law. It's a privilege to be under your leadership at church and to teach alongside of you in Sunday school. And I know Kate feels the same way leading being on the elders team with you. Yes. I love you guys. And I just really appreciate you. And we really do have great people here and just love what God's building in our midst and our little part that we play in the midst of the kingdom. Been a great journey and excited for the next 50 years. And if you're out there listening and you don't have a church home, we would love to have you here on Sunday mornings. Sunday school's at 925 and the service starts at 1030. So come and check us out and make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.